It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Today we are celebrating Mother's Day, and uh, we should be celebrating Mother's Day every day because of how impactful and important mothers are. And one of the things that kids typically do for their moms on Mother's Day is write uh, some kind of card expressing love. And you know, sometimes kids they you know they get some cards that are pretty funny because they kind of miss the point of a, a love note to their mom. Here's a, a few examples of some funny and unique Mother's Day cards that kids made. One kid wrote, "Thank you, mom, for being wonderful, caring, and not making me eat, uh, not making your meatloaf anymore." Another kid wrote, Dear Mom, thank you for doing everything for me, but why don't you let me have desserts? Another kid wrote, If I were a shark, I'd eat you first. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And if you can see on the picture, he drew a shark about to eat his mom. Uh, Another kid wrote, "Uh, Mom, you're mean to me, but I still love you. (laughs) So at least he still loves her. Um, Dear Mom, thank you for taking good care of me. I hope you do better things for me. And another kid wrote, uh, thank you, mom, for making, uh, for making me food so I don't die. So yeah, that's good that you would starve to death. And then one of my favorites is the last one. I was thinking of doing this for my mom, but I didn't. An acronym for mom. The first, the M stood for my number one mom. The second M stood for married and the O stood for over the hill. So those are some funny and unique cards that kids have written for their mothers on Mother's Day. And, you know, they kind of miss the point of the love that's there. But there should be an expression of love because our, our mothers are so important and impactful to our lives. But, you know, the most important and the most impactful kind of mother is a godly mother. A godly mother is one of the best things that a child can have. And, you know, I know that I am so blessed that I have a godly mother. Uh, I know for those of you who have godly mothers, you recognize what a privilege that is because not everybody does. And so this morning I thought it would be encouraging for us to look at a, a very godly mother that we see in God's Word. And, you know, as I was studying uh, Hebrews chapter 11 this week, which is the next chapter that we're going to be getting into, you know, the chapter is really all about faith. And the author starts with a description of what faith or a definition of what faith is. And then he gets into all these examples of people who were people of faith. And as I was going through all these examples and looking at what happened in their lives in the Old Testament and kind of determining, you know, how much of that would I bring into the teaching, you know, one of the examples was Moses' parents and specifically Moses' mother. And I thought, you know what, this would be a great time to kind of fast forward a tiny bit in our study of Hebrews to look at 
Moses' parents, and more specifically his mom this morning, as we celebrate Mother's Day, because she's a great example of a godly mother. And there's really two main things that we're going to look at this morning. First, what a godly mother does for her children, and how she trusts God with her children. And then second, how God protects and provides for us and our children. And so as we celebrate Mother's Day today, I want to be reminded of how important, of how impactful godly mothers are who trust God with their children, and also just how much we can trust God in this area of being a mom or dad or just in any area of life. Now, Exodus chapter 2 is really where the majority of uh, the story about Moses' parents are. And so we're going to spend the most of our time in that um, chapter this morning. But something very important to understand before we jump into Exodus chapter 2 is that the events that we see here in Exodus chapter 2 are right after this command by Pharaoh that every single Egyptian was to be able to go and take any boy that was born to an Israelite and throw them into the river so that they would die. So that's the situation that Moses is born under. He's born under this command, and so that any of these Egyptians had the, uh, not only opportunity, but they had the command, the orders from Pharaoh to kill baby Moses. And so that horrible situation is a situation that Moses' parents faced. They have this extremely powerful and wicked dictator who has made a command that their child can be killed. Now, I want you to think about how you would respond if you lived under a powerful dictatorship like Moses' parents did, and there was a command made that your baby was able to be killed. What would you do under such horrible circumstances? Well, we're going to see this morning what Moses' mother did and what we can learn from her example, and it starts in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Now, the author of Exodus is Moses himself, and so he starts chapter 2, just giving us some uh, basic details about his parents. There was a man of the house of Levi, and he took a wife, the daughter of Levi, and so he just starts off saying, hey, you know, both my parents were from the tribe of Levi, and a little later in Exodus, he shares with us his parents' name. His father's name was Amram, and his mother's name was Jochebed. Now, Moses was not Amram and Jochebed's first child. They had two children before him. Their oldest was Miriam, and then their middle child, who was three years older than Moses, was Aaron, and then their youngest was Moses. And so after Moses is born to Jochebed, we're told in verse 2 that when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, this Hebrew word translated beautiful is not a very good translation. The, the word means good, pleasant, agreeable. So we're not being told that, you know, Jochebed only 
hid Moses uh, because he was beautiful, but if he was ugly, she, she wouldn't have hid him. Uh, it really has nothing to do with his physical features. It's speaking about being this good, pleasant, agreeable child. But the interesting thing about this Hebrew word is it's most commonly used uh, with regard to being good in the sight of God. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, in the creation account, after each day that God created something, He said it was good. It was good. It was good. Over and over you see this, and He's speaking of good in my sight. And that same Greek word, or Hebrew word translated good, is the Hebrew word translated beautiful here. And so, most commentators believe that's really how it should be focused on, that is, a good child in the sight of God. And there's also this uh, aspect of being special. Bob Deffenpaul uh, says this word would be better translated, that when she saw that he was a child that God had a special purpose for, she hid him three months. So it seems that you know the parents recognized that this child was special to God, but also had a special purpose that God wanted to do something with them. And that's something wonderful about all mothers. You know, mothers have this great ability to see what is special in their child. And you know what? Godly mothers, they have an ability to see that their child is special to God. Psalm 127.3 tells us, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. You know, children are a blessing from God. They're a reward from God. They're something that is a great thing that God gives because they are special to Him. And this is definitely the case that we see here with Moses. In the book of Acts chapter 7, verse 20, we're told, At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. So once again, we have some insight about Moses in this time right after he was born in those three months that he was hidden. And notice we're being told that he was well-pleasing to God. Once again, you know, speaking about this special connection, this pleasure that he brings to God. And this is something that Moses' mother recognized about him. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, where this chapter about faith and it's speaking about these individuals who live these lives of faith, we're told about Jochebed, we're told about Amram, and this is what we're told about them in Hebrews 11:23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses' parents, they hid him for three months for two reasons. First, because he was a beautiful child. And once again, that's not the, the, the best translation. It's this good, this, it's really not ordinary, this special child to God. And so for faith, by faith, they hid him because they recognized this. They recognized this is a special child. He has value to God and we hide him because God has a plan for him. The second thing uh, why Moses' parents hid Moses by faith is because they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, let's understand here, Pharaoh at that time had so much power, anybody who would go against the command of Pharaoh would be put to death. And so that'd be good reason to be fearful, good reason to say, well, wait a second, I I don't want to do something against what Pharaoh commands because my life is at stake, but yet... The parents of Moses, they weren't afraid of Pharaoh's command to kill their son because they had faith in God 
to do something to protect their son because they believe God had a plan for their son. David Gruzik wrote this. The baby Moses opened his eyes to an unfriendly world. He was born in a powerful nation, but was of a foreign, oppressed race during a time when all babies, such as himself, were under a royal death sentence. Nevertheless, Moses had something special in his favor. He was the child of believing parents. If you grew up with parents who are believers in Jesus Christ, what a privilege that is. You know, I was blessed by having parents who personally believe in Jesus, who put their faith in Jesus, but also encourage me to personally believe in Jesus and put my faith in Jesus. And as parents, really, that's the most important thing that we can pass on to our kids. The importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If our kids have that, then they have what is most important, not only for this life, but also for all of eternity. You know, a lot of parents are really focused on what kind of career their kids are going to have. Oh, I want my kid to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever it is that they think is important and that would, you know, make a a great impact in the world today. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that for your kids as long as that's not more important than following Jesus. You know, I'll be fine with any career path that my girls take as long as they are following Jesus. You know, I'd rather them work at a fast food restaurant for the rest of their life following Jesus than to be a top doctor here in Houston not following Jesus. That wouldn't matter to me that they have achieved this great, you know, doctoral place and doing all this stuff if at the end of the day they're not following Jesus. I'd rather them flip burgers and follow Jesus because that's so much more important for not only this life, but for the one to come. Now, this world is constantly telling us what they think we should do as parents, what they think we should do with our kids, how we should raise our kids, what we should teach our kids. And we're constantly being bombarded with the world's opinions, the world's views of things. And we got to be very careful with that because sometimes they're giving the same message that Pharaoh gave. Pharaoh thought, you know what, these babies are going to be a problem to me. And so my solution to the problem is let's just kill them. Let's get rid of them. The world today tells us, you know what, if you get pregnant and you think your baby is going to be a problem to you, if you think you're not ready to give birth, well, just abort it. Just kill the baby. Just get rid of them and you'll get rid of the problem. Sadly, every year in all the countries of the world, millions of parents follow this horrible, ungodly advice and they abort their children. As the world tells us what they think we should do with our kids... Understand something very important. Following Jesus is not going to be anywhere on their list. Oh, they'll give us lots of things that they think are important, lots of things that we should do, lots of things that we should emphasize, lots of things that we should try to push and encourage our kids towards, but following Jesus is not going to be on that list. Actually, they'll encourage you to put what they say is important in place of following Jesus. For example, the world tells us it's so important for your children to play sports. And notice that now a lot of the games are played on Sundays at the exact same time that church services take place. 
And the world encourages parents, hey, don't take your kid to church. Make sure they're playing a baseball game or a soccer game or a football game or, or a basketball game. Or, you know, make sure they're involved in those things because, oh, that's so important. Even though like 0.5% will ever make it to, you know, uh, be a professional player. But you know what? Oh, do it. Well, you know what? 100% of them are going to stand before Jesus. And it's so sad when we say, you know what? Sports are more important. Don't worry about coming to church. Don't worry about fellowshipping with God. Don't worry about that thing. You know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just keep you in that. And we start to wonder, you know, why is it that they don't care about God? Why is it that they don't want to follow Him? Well, why is it that we as parents haven't made it important to them to say, no, this is a priority over other things? But the world, you know, they want us to place their priorities over the biblical priorities that we should have in raising our kids to follow Jesus. And so as parents, we need to be like Jacobin, not afraid of the king's command, not afraid of what the world says, not afraid to say, you know what? No, we're not going to follow that. We're not going to make that a priority. We're not going to do those things. We have a fear of God that is greater than a fear of you. We're going to follow what Jesus says, not follow what you say. And we got to make that choice. Who are we going to follow and who are we going to fear? Are we going to follow and fear God, or are we going to follow and fear this world? Joshua understood the importance of a a choice like this, and he says something very important in Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua recognizes that the the parents within the nation of Israel, that they got to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the God of Israel, the true God? Or are you going to serve the God of the Egyptians? Or the God of the Amorites? Or the false gods that are are being worshipped around us? The one that the world's telling you, oh no, no, worship this God. You should worship Baal. You should worship this one. You should worship that one. And Joshua's saying, you know, you just got to make a choice. Whom are you going to serve? Which God are you truly going to fear and follow? And I love how he ends it. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. That's the choice that we have made. I encourage you to make the same choice, but the choice is yours, parents. you got to choose whom you are going to serve. And he understood that that choice of the parent would have a drastic impact on the direction that the kids go, whether they follow Jesus or not. I'm sure all of us have some people in our family that follow this world. We have friends, we have neighbors, we have co-workers that follow this world. For those of us who are parents, we have friends who are parents who follow this world. And even though we're surrounded by people that are following this world and are giving us worldly advice of what we should do as parents, we got to just stop and say, you know what? For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what Amram and Jochebed were doing. They were serving the Lord. They hid their son for three months. But you know what? As each month goes by, as their son gets older and louder, it becomes more difficult to hide him. Notice what verse 3 tells us. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him 
dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. So now Moses is three months old. He's too big and he's too loud to hide anymore. It's not just guards. It's anybody who's an Egyptian, if he's going to hear Moses' cries, could say, oh, there's a baby there, needs to go in the river. And so they recognize, we got to come up with a plan. And so Moses' mom does come up with a plan. She makes an ark of bulrushes. She daubs it with asphalt and pitch. And, and here's a picture uh, from the British Museum of a basket made of these exact things. And so this is probably very much what uh, this basket looked like. And so after making this really this little boat for her baby, Jochebed takes her three-month-old little boy, she places him in this basket, she takes the basket and her baby down to the river, and she puts the basket in the water where the reeds were at the river bank. Now, most of us are familiar with how this story ends. And that can be a problem because sometimes we don't stop to really think about what this must have been like for Moses' mom. It's like, oh, we know the the happy ending, but she didn't know what the happy ending was going to be. And so I want you to try to put yourself in her shoes. Try to imagine how hard it would have been to leave your baby in a basket by the river, not knowing what will happen to him. I would imagine this was one of the most difficult things that Jochebed had ever done in her life. But the thing I want us to note is what enabled her to do this? What enables her to be willing to put her baby boy in a basket on the river? The thing that enabled her to do that is because she had faith and trust in God. Trust that He would protect and trust that He would take care of her little boy. You know, when Moses' mother let go of that basket, she was giving up what was most precious to her and trusting that God would take care of him. It was her faith and trust in God that enabled her to place what was so precious to her in God's hands. You know, trusting God with what we value the most is a difficult thing to do. It's easy to trust Him with things that we don't really care much about. Yeah, you can do that, Lord. Well, whether you do it or not, it doesn't really matter that much because that thing doesn't matter that much. But when it's something I really treasure, like a child or a spouse or or something of that magnitude, all of a sudden it's like, oh, trusting God with that becomes so much more difficult. I remember as a missionary, when I went on the mission field, I was single and trusting God to provide for my personal needs. You know, that was a struggle for a bit because I couldn't have a job outside of ministry. I had to fully depend on people just sending support and, you know, I couldn't earn my own way. And it was kind of a struggle of like, all right, Lord, are you going to take care of me? And as he continued to do that, I, I continued to grow in my trust of him doing that. But all of a sudden I get married. And now there is a different level of, Lord, I know that you've done it for me personally, but are you going to take care of me and my wife? Uh, and it was, it was a struggle. Like, this is someone I value so much. Will you provide for them? Will you protect them? And then all of a sudden we have kids. And it became even greater. God, are you going to take care of my wife? Are you going to take care of my girls? We can struggle with trusting God with what we value the most. But we need to realize we can give our children to the Lord 
We can trust our children with the Lord because God's the greatest parent there is. I mean, let's just say this. If you're willing to trust your child with yourself, you should definitely be willing to trust your child with God because he's better than you. He's a better parent than you. He's a better parent than me. And so we should be willing to say, Lord, I'll trust my child. I'll trust their provision and their protection and any other thing that I can think of. I'll trust them with you because you are trustworthy. And I think Jacobed's a great example of trusting God with what is most precious to you, able and willing to leave her baby in a basket because she trusted God would take care of her little boy. Well, let's see how God protects Moses in verses 5 and 6. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked alongside the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Now there are three main things that I I want you to note here about God. Obviously, it's a great example of Jochebed that she trusts God. But what God does here shows why we can trust Him. And this is really what I want us to hold on to as we look at this this morning. The first thing that we note here about God is the divine orchestration of this meeting between baby Moses and Pharaoh's daughter, which was there to protect Moses. I mean, think about this. On the banks of the river, there were crocodiles. On the banks of the river, there were lots of Egyptians who would have found a baby and thrown him in the river because that's what they were doing. That's where they were executing these babies. They were just tossing babies and drowning them in the river. If they found a Hebrew baby in a basket, be like, oh, well, this is really easy. I'll just toss him in. Crocodiles could have eaten him. Hebrew uh, Egyptians could have killed him. But notice that God divinely orchestrates a meeting with a very specific person a very unique person that had the ability to defy the Pharaoh's order and take a little baby who was Hebrew, Pharaoh's daughter. Now, something else that's interesting is during this time, the house of Pharaoh, they had their own bathing pools that most of Pharaoh's children would have used. But on this particular day, Pharaoh's daughter chooses to come down to the river to bathe instead of staying up in the castle and bathing in the pools that they normally bathe in. And this wasn't a coincidence. God is orchestrating this. And as Pharaoh's daughter is bathing, she sees this basket in the reeds and she has one of her maids go and bring the basket to her. And like with most people, when they see a crying baby, She opens the basket. Moses starts to cry, and she's filled with compassion for him. But notice she notices this is a Hebrew baby. She recognizes he's a Hebrew boy, but she doesn't kill him. Instead, she decides to keep him. And of all the people in Egypt, she's probably one of the very, very few that could get away with this. She is Pharaoh's daughter. If she says, Daddy, I want to keep this little Hebrew boy, she's the one person that he would say, okay, we don't have to kill that one. You can have this one. But anyone else, if a guard says, hey, I want to keep, no, throw him in the river. You know, she's the one that actually would be able to defy Pharaoh's command. David Grusick wrote this about how God orchestrated this meeting. God has this beautifully planned for the deliverance of both Moses and eventually for the people of Israel. 
He skillfully guided the parents of Moses, the currents of the Nile, and the heart of Pharaoh's daughter to further his plan and purpose. So God is divinely orchestrating the events to protect baby Moses. And this is something that we see throughout the Bible, that God is our protector. And as parents, it's important to remember, God isn't just your personal protector. He's also the one who will protect your children. You know, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 121. And I love the Psalm because it speaks of God's help and God's protection over us. It says this, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your goings out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. When you're going through difficulty, when you're going through hardship, lift your eyes to the Lord because He is the one who helps. He is the one who protects. Now in verse 4, we're told that Miriam's sister, after her mom places Moses in this basket, she kind of stood afar off there at the Nile, just waiting to see what's going to happen to my little brother. And when Miriam sees Pharaoh's daughter have compassion on Moses, notice what she does in verses 7-10. through 10. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. So Miriam sees Pharaoh's daughter, recognize there's a baby boy. She doesn't kill the baby. She's holding the baby. And she sees, wow, there's compassion on my brother. She goes to Pharaoh's daughter. She says, hey, do you want me to get a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby for you? Because Pharaoh's daughter didn't give birth, so she couldn't nurse any baby. And she says, yeah, that, that's a great plan. Why don't you go get a Hebrew woman to come nurse this baby? And then Miriam gets to go back to her mom, who I'm sure at this moment is just like, I'm trusting that God's going to protect my baby, but I'm you know, just full of all these thoughts of what is possibly happening. And then all of a sudden, there's her daughter saying, hey, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, and you can nurse him. And so she brings her mom to Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter says, hey, if you nurse this baby for me, I'll pay you wages for doing it. So the first thing we noted about what God is doing for Jochebed and Moses is the divine orchestration of this meeting between Pharaoh's daughter and Moses to protect Moses. And the second thing I want you to note is the divine blessing that is given to Jochebed for her faith and trust in God. She was willing to release her son on the river, willing to say, God, I just trust you with my child. And on that very same day, she gets her child back to nurse him and she gets paid to do it. 
Dr. Ron Mattoon wrote this, God kept Moses alive and provided for Moses' family. God again has another laugh. As the mother of Moses is paid for caring for her child, the king's daughter will pay money from the king's treasury to defy his own commandments. The Lord has a great sense of humor. Now, Jochebed most likely nursed Moses until he was weaned, and about that time it was between two and four years of age. So, you know, she has him for three months, thinks that she's going to have to give him up, and the Lord says, nope. I'm going to bless you with several more years that you're going to have with your son, years that you can invest spiritually in your son, uh, and what a, what a wonderful thing God did for her. And that should encourage us. When you and I place our faith and we place our trust in the Lord, He takes care of us. And He takes care of those that we entrust to Him. He blesses us for placing our trust in Him. Now, Jochebed nurses Moses, and we're told that when Moses has grown, so he's now a couple years old, she takes him to Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter makes Moses her son. And it's actually at this time that he gets his name. Uh, she names him Moses, he says, because I drew him out of the water. The name Moses actually means drawn. Uh, and so because of the experience of finding this baby and drawing him out of the water, she's like, okay, perfect, we're going to call you Moses. So now Moses is going to get to live safely in the palace with Pharaoh's daughter. So the first thing that God does here with Jochebed and and Moses is this divine orchestration of the meeting between Moses and Pharaoh's daughter to protect Moses. The second thing is a divine blessing that he gives to Jochebed for her faith and trust in him. And the third thing is the divine provision. The divine provision of God for Moses by placing Moses in Pharaoh's house and making Moses a son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, this provision was amazing. It's a provision where he can't be killed, but it's a provision that he's going to get the schooling and this education and all these things that God has a bigger plan for Moses. As we know the story, he's ultimately going to be the one that God uses to deliver uh, the Egyptians, uh, the uh, Israelites from the Egyptians. And so this is just an amazing provision that God gives to Moses. And this is something that we need to remember, that God's not just our protector. It's great that He is. It's great that He protects us. It's great that, you know, He's a strong tower. The righteous can run to Him and be safe. But you know what? He's also our provider. And I find it interesting that two of the main reasons that we struggle trusting God are these two issues. We struggle with whether He'll protect us, and we struggle with whether He will provide for us. And those are two of the main reasons, really, that parents struggle trusting God with their kids. Lord, will you protect my kids? Will you provide for my kids? And I think this is why it's so important that we understand that God is both our protector and our provider. And He's the protector and the provider for our children. So we can trust our lives personally to the Lord, but we also can trust our kids' lives to Him as well. Jochebed, a great example of trusting God with Moses, giving Moses literally to the Lord and saying, I trust you with his life. And God shows the protection and the provision that he gives to Moses in amazing ways. And I hope this is a good reminder to us of what God can do for us personally, what God can do for our children, if we will just trust him with our lives and trust him with the kids, our, the lives of our kids and just realize, you know what? God's not going to let us down. A lot of people let us down. Uh, I can never say that that there's not an individual 
that won't let you down because we're sinners and, and we do. We let each other down. But that's the one thing that God doesn't. He doesn't let us down. Moses was greatly blessed to have a godly mother like Jochebed who trusted not only her life, but also his life in God's hand. See, the most important and impactful kind of mother there is is a godly mother, a mother who trusts God with her children. And since it's Mother's Day, and this is probably a good thing to do all the time, I just want to close this morning. I just want to take a moment to pray for moms here, to pray for moms watching online. You have such an impactful and such an important role. And just to pray that God would give you what you need to be that godly mother in so many different ways. But one of the biggest and most important is, is to trust God with your children. And so let's just close in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you are a perfect parent. But Lord, we are grateful that in this life here on this earth, you have placed parents over us. And what a privilege it is when we have godly mothers. Godly mothers who have helped train us, helped lead us to faith in you. Godly mothers who trust you with our lives. And Lord, I just pray for every mother here, for every mother listening to this. God, that you would just help them. It's a hard thing to give what we value most to you, Lord, but I just pray that you would help each mother to come to that place of recognition that you are faithful, that you are a provider and a protector, that you are trustworthy, that they can trust you with their children. And what a privilege and a blessing it is when we get to that place and we just give our kids to you and watch what you'll do with them. And so I just pray for each mom. As parents, none of us are perfect. We're far from it, Lord, but we can trust you. We can offer our kids to you and we can know you are perfect. You won't let them or us down. And so we're just so grateful for our moms, but we're so grateful that you are the ones helping moms. You are the ones blessing moms. You are the ones providing and protecting the children that we have, the children that moms have. Lord, what a, what a wonderful thing that you do. And so I just pray that we would be encouraged this morning with who you are, with what you're capable of. Lord, that we would just trust you. And if we're not parents, Lord, that we would just realize, hey, we can trust you with what is valuable. We can trust you with what's important, whatever that may be. We can trust you with our own personal lives because you are a faithful protector and provider. And so, Lord, we do lift up the moms today. We pray what a special day it would be for them. And that for us as kids, Lord, we would express love to them, not just in cards or flowers, but just in actions and, and just words. And so we thank you for moms and we pray your blessing upon them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.